You're listening to the Protecting Your Practice podcast with your hosts, Attorney Dan Mayer and Licensed Counselor Melissa Westner. Dan is not your attorney and Melissa is not your therapist, but they're here to help you cross your T's and dot your I's as they talk about all the things you wish you had learned in grad school. And now, here are your hosts. Hi there and welcome back. Joining us today is Raina Lombardi. She is the host of the Creative Psychotherapist podcast, a podcast for creative, expressive, and experiential focused psychotherapists curious to learn how to design, build, and scale a thriving private practice. On the podcast, Raina interviews other therapists and mental health practitioners who have started their own successful practices about the tools and strategies they've used to develop creative, focused practices as well as products, services, and other ventures they've created to enhance their own practices. One of the things, the reasons that Melissa and I were really excited to have um, you on is because um, you have your own successful uh, practice. You're also the host of a, a fellow mental health podcast, and it's dedicated to helping mental health practitioners as much as, as ours is. And there is a real mutual focus by our podcasts on how practitioners can do this thing with this practice of mental health better how can they they can run their practices better and be better at doing it oh yeah absolutely there's definitely some alignment in what you're doing with your show and teaching people all of the really important the important behind the scenes stuff that often therapists don't feel confident in, you know, how do we create all of the paperwork that is going to support our practice legally, ethically, according to our state boards, all of that stuff, Mm -hmm. um, where I, I like helping out with that, but that of course is not my like area. I usually like direct people. I can say, this is what I do, but you need to really consult your own legal authority and like, you know, make sure that that works for you. But what I, what I can do is talk to you about how to, how to use your own creative process to um, gain clarity on what you want your practice to look like, what you want to be doing in your day to day. Because if you don't do that, I think people fall into this pattern of replicating the system, which they left, which they didn't want to be in anymore. And then they're unhappy in their practice because they didn't necessarily intentionally create it the way they wanted it to function. Yeah. And even though the documentation might not be the thing that you love the most, Raina, we definitely wanted to talk with you because we think that Um, The things that you do do apply really well to the topic of protecting your practice. You know, the creativity that you are doing with your clients and also the creative work that you're talking about with the clinicians that you do consultation with can apply. Um, And so we were wondering if you can talk a little bit more about your work in general for people who are listening, maybe about the creative work that you do with it, with clients and also ways that you help other clinicians with creativity in their work and in their practices? Sure. Yeah. So um, 
I'm trained as an art therapist. I went to Lesley University, which is in Cambridge, Massachusetts for a master's degree. And they have one of the oldest um, established uh, expressive arts master's programs in the country. They've been doing it since the 70s. So um, they really look at teaching their students, no matter what modality or focus you happen to um, fall into. Like for me, it was visual arts because that's where I've always been um, attracted to uh, and just have felt called to. But they teach music therapy, dance therapy, drama therapy, expressive writing, poetry therapy, um, and they teach uh, an intermodal process where you're kind of utilizing all of these different ways of expression to facilitate healing for people. And um, so the practice that I have is art therapy, but at the practice, we also utilize um, play-based work. We use expressive writing and mindfulness uh, techniques. So really kind of pulling a little bit outside the the box to help people um, with whatever it is that they're experiencing and helping them work towards the goals that they desire. So just as every other therapist would, we just go about it in a different way. And in my practice, there are, my goodness, I just added two new clinicians and which is really exciting. So I think there's a total of seven of us now, seven or eight of us now. And, um, of all of, of all of the therapists, only two are social workers. Everybody else is an art therapist. The, one of the social workers that I I have in the practice is also, um, she is setting up her, she has a property in town, like in, um, like the country part of town and, um, and she has horses and she's been studying to do equine psychotherapy. So I'm really like, love talking with her. And so once she has her farm ready to take clients, we'll be kind of doing some work together and collaborating um, with art and horses. And um, so really kind of pushing outside the, the, the boundary lines of, you know, traditional psychotherapy, which is fun. I'll be very curious to hear what you come up with, with art and well, horses. That's going to be well, really interesting. Yeah. And that, I mean, that's what's you know interesting for me about, you know, some of the resources like equine therapy is that those are what have, I would say, are probably non-traditional approaches to clinical therapy. Mm-hmm. Ones that cl- clearly work, um, but it's an example of the creative bark. The, how do we approach this therapy concept, this, you know, helping people in ways that not necessarily sitting in an office, you know, or the archetypal, you know, couch, laying on the couch, you know, or sitting in a chair with it across from your uh, therapist in a closed door office. What are other ways of approaching this thing that we do, that practitioners do as therapists, you know, to help people? How can you better connect? How can you help them reach the success and results in their life they want to reach? And um, it's a it's a good example of that creative, you know, bark, I guess, that we're kind mm-hmm. of talking a bit about here. 
Yeah. And I think that's what makes going out on your own so exciting is you get to craft, design, and be the architect of your business. And that means that you have to start from your own creative practice. And Mm -hmm. so in the work that I do with other therapists is helping them to understand one, like, what is your big vision? Can Mm -hmm. you take some time? Can we go through like a guided visualization and walk through every day, like for a week of like, what does that look like from the time you wake up until the time you go to sleep? Because it's not just about using your creativity, design, the the practice and the work that you want to do with clients, but it's also about using that creative intention to design the life and lifestyle that Mm -hmm. you want to have. As you know, as entrepreneurs, your business can easily be Mm all-consuming and you could have zero life outside of your business. And I hear that from other therapists that I know that are in private practice, along with clients that I know that bring their kids in and they happen to be, the parents happen to be entrepreneurial. And that's one of their, like, I feel like, like a big source of guilt for them, right? Is that like, oh, I'm in, in, you know, I'm in a, I'm, we're our own business owners. And so maybe we don't spend as much time or we're like on the phone a lot or, you know, and, and so it can become really consuming. So if we can intentionally use our creative process to design both the practice so that it meets all of these lifestyle opportunities that we want to create for ourselves, more time for family, more time for friends, more time for travel. Um, I want to help people do that. I want to help people um, not get to a place of feeling burned out because Mm -hmm. they don't have time and they're feeling overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that means like not just using creative clinical interventions with clients, but really thinking creatively about how they design the services that they're going to be offering in their practice, how they Mm -hmm. obtain funding for those sources. You know, typically people think, well, I have to get on insurance, but we don't, we don't have to get on insurance. There are plenty of other creative solutions to be able to be in practice. And one of those is collaboration and partnership. There's plenty, plenty of um, kind of businesses and nonprofit organizations out in the community that are looking for mental health supports and services. And if you offer a unique creative solution, and you can pitch that to that other person in the community, the, the resource in the community. You can write a grant and get a specific, you know, contract funded program going where you go out in the community and you provide these contracted services for their clients, but it's a, it's mutually beneficial. You know, as an independent practitioner, it's a little bit harder to, to write your own grants. Mm-hmm. It's possible. But, you know, more than likely, um, they go to nonprofit organizations. So if you can collaborate with different organizations in your community, you can do just that. You could 
have a practice where you just went out and did creative therapy groups or, you know, different therapy groups depends on what your specialization is, right? Um, for different agencies. And that could be your whole practice. You don't even have to have a brick and mortar space if that's what you wanted. But so that's what I try to do is help people see all of these other creative solutions to accomplish what it is that they really want. And I'm glad that you mentioned some of those exercises that you might uh, encourage people to do or that you might facilitate to help people access their creativity. Because I think when you're trying on a new project or you're thinking about a new idea that you want to implement, the minute that you have to think about it is a minute all of your ideas go out the window and you just can't think like writer's block. Um, mm-hmm. And so having someone who can help you participate in some type of exercise to get out of that can be really helpful. Yeah. The visualization is, I think, really, really helpful um, to just go through. What do you want? What If you use your imagination, our imagination is such a powerful tool of what is it that you want to do? Well, how do you want to feel? How do you want to feel when you wake up in the morning? You know, how do you want to spend that first half an hour after you get up out of bed? Or maybe it's the first two hours of your day. How many hours in the day do you want to be seeing clients? What feels good for me and what I'm comfortable doing is not going to feel good for somebody else who maybe is, you know, at the end of their career and they just want to have a little part-time gig on the side, right? It's okay for us all to create a practice that is completely different looking from one another. That, that part's really important. Right. Well, and I'm also hearing that in creating that practice, being mindful of protecting yourself and taking care of yourself in that process. And that's Mm -hmm. one of the things that I really wanted to ask you about. Uh, And you had already mentioned burnout, you know, but I think generally speaking, we are praised for productivity. We are praised for overworking. We receive affirmation for that. And yet Mm -hmm. there's plenty of information out there that indicates that overworking doesn't actually help our productivity, that overworking can stifle our creativity. And if you're a creative therapist, you need to be able to access that creativity in order to do creative work with your clients. If you are a business owner, you need to be able to access your vision and your creativity in order to guide your business. And so I'm wondering if you have any thoughts on ways that people can prevent burnout in order to retain their creativity or things that people can do to continue enhancing that creativity. Yeah, no, those are all really great points, Melissa. And, and you're right. I think we, we get a lot of reinforcement for being productive and working 60 hours a week and putting in the overtime and staying late. and um, and I think as young therapists, I, I feel like younger therapists, newer therapists struggle with this because most of us, you know, we want to please our bosses. We want to keep our jobs. We're excited to be there. And it's hard to say no when they're piling on extra work or they think, well, gosh, I mean, this is what other people are doing. So like, there's something wrong with me that I can't keep up with all the work here in this agency. So one, I think, is to just recognize that each one of us are individuals and our capability for productivity, healthy productivity, 
is going to have a different threshold and that's going to be on a different spectrum. And that's going to change depending upon what season of life we're in. If you're a new mom and you're not getting really good sleep for two years, you're probably going to struggle to see eight clients a day. I'm not a new mom and I think I do get good sleep. And that is hard for me if I were to have eight clients in the day back to back, right? So one is like understanding who you are, what your needs are, what season of life you're in, being flexible and recognizing when too much is too much. You know, you you have a good um, internal barometer for your energy level. And it's important that we attune to ourselves and listen to what that's saying. And then as you as you listen, you can craft your practice around that, right? So I know people, what they've done is they need a lot of time to decompress in between clients. They can't handle the like hour to hour to hour to hour. So they might structure their day where they see two clients in the morning with an hour break in between, then an hour for lunch and three clients in the afternoon with a couple breaks in between so that they're giving themselves time and space to be able to deal with responses back or, you know, work on administrative stuff. That part is really important, how you create your your schedule. We need that extra time to do all of the admin. Um, In an agency, other people are doing all that stuff. So I think the first thing is really like understanding who you are, what your needs are, and, and what season of life you're in. And then being very intentional about how you create your schedule and, and structure your timeline for work. And then the other piece is, are you making intentional time to slow down, to be playful, to actually engage in some creative process simply for the joy of the process and not the outcome? We're so outcome-driven. What goal are you working on? How fast are you going to achieve that goal? And then as soon as you achieve it, that there's no satisfaction there. There's no joy that comes with achieving the goal. It's just onto the next goal, onto the next goal, right? And it and it's part of that productivity mindset. And so I think part of the work that we have to do is retrain ourselves mm-hmm. to enjoy being playful. As an adult, it's okay to create time to play without the purpose of having a specific outcome be achieved. And when we can do that, all of a sudden, all of these creative ideas start to flow in. Problems that we weren't able to solve before. Oh, now I have the solution. Oh my God, I can't believe I didn't think of that. Where did that come from? It's because you got out of that thinking, logical, sequential part of the brain, and you just allowed that, that, that the creative process of whatever it is that you were doing, whether that might be visual arts, I, that's my thing. It might be, you enjoy playing music. It might be playing with your kids in the sand at the beach. 
It might be, um, you know, just allowing yourself to lay outside on a beautiful day and just lay in the sun and enjoy the breeze and listen to the birds, you know, like it's giving yourself that time. I think that part is super key, but you have to know again, what it is, what, what works for you. There's a mindfulness about not overthinking things. It sounds like there's a mind. You have to be mindful about taking the time to not be so wrapped up in the rat race, so to speak. Um, and that actually leads to my, my next question for you, which is, you know, this is a very common problem even among attorneys. You know, there's a very high rate of suicide and depression and, and abuse, alcohol abuse and, and, and you know, addiction. Um, and it's because there's a lot of similar kind of mentalities that are in play where I have to make a bill about or I have to do this. I can't, you know, that kind of focus where it's, it's very easy to get burned out, um, much kind of like what you're describing. Um, so I guess my question is, you know, are there some red flags? that um practitioners couldn't be aware of like if they if they are approaching a point where you know they're potentially on the verge of burning out or they are you know they are on the verge of losing that that creative spark um how does one become aware like you know i i feel sometimes like it's not something that you become aware of fully until something happens where you know there's so and, and oftentimes it's a negative thing so what are things that people can look for in, in their own life, um, their own practice, if they are in this kind of position where they are approaching burnout, they are just mm-hmm. overwhelmed over, you know, lack of sleep, overwhelmed, wrapped up in, in what they're doing? Yeah, that's such a great question. And I think probably the term, the, the term that comes to mind for me would be the opposite of being mindful and it's mindless. When, when you find yourself turning to mindless activity to just escape, right? When you're looking for that mental escape, I only have five minutes between um, my next appointment, but I'm going to go, you know, doom scrolling on the, on the phone. And it's a mindless activity. I'm not really getting any gain out of that. You know, when you notice that you're doing that more and more and you're checking out more and more, as a clinician, I know I need more time for me when I'm unable to sustain my individual attention with the client. And I know that on an, an inner level, right? Like, oh, I'm noticing, yeah, my mind's going to wander. Everybody's mind is going to wander from time to time. But how quickly am I able to, to notice it and say, oh, that's your stuff. You need to be in the room with this person and focusing on their stuff right? How quick am I able to jump back and power back into the work at hand? Um, If I'm not able to do that, that's probably a good sign that I need more time for me because I am burning out, right? Burning out is I haven't taken enough time to replenish myself with all that I need to be effective and sustain the work that I'm doing and to feel healthy and to feel fulfilled. And I think if you're going home and you're complaining about your work day and you feel stuck, if you have the dreads, the dreads are what I call when you get out of work on Friday and you might enjoy Friday evening until about 10 o'clock and your head hits the pillow. And then you think, I have two more days until I go back there. 
that's probably a bad sign, you know, or if you're spending all day on Sunday worrying about and fretting about going back into work the next day, that's a bad sign that that's definitely a sign of burnout. And probably that entire time, what you've been doing are different mindless activities and and trying to avoid the discomfort of whatever it is that you're feeling, but then you can't escape it. Right. And that's where people who are struggling with burnout in no matter what field they're in end up turning to different types of addictive behaviors, whether that's a process addiction or a product addiction. Yeah. I read somewhere recently that what's the the thing you're describing, the dread, and this is an article, but um, I remember the statistic it said was that there, there's an overwhelming number of Americans in today's world who are experiencing that feeling on mm-hmm. Sundays when they're going to work. And, and it's partially it's because there's so much being thrown at everybody you know, from COVID to, you know, if you're a parent um, and you're, you're trying to parent and, and your, your child while doing your job, while taking time for yourself, talking with a lot of practitioners talking with people, the sense I've gotten is a lot of people, what COVID has done, the one, if there is a positive to it, is it's forced people to kind of reconsider their mm-hmm. their lives, to kind of be like, is this what I want to be doing? Because people all of a sudden had to spend a lot of time at home <laughs> doing nothing. <laughs> and so I guess the question for you is, so if I'm a practitioner and I'm realizing all this, you know, how do I go about putting the brakes on? Now, if all of a sudden I'm like, okay, oh, wow, this is, this is something that's happening. What do I need to do? I guess that depends on where you work. You know, if you're in an agency and you're in that agency job and you're feeling like I have to be here because it's how I'm going to take care of my family, are you able to take some mental health days? Mm-hmm. And actually, when you take that day, don't schedule any errands, don't schedule all the to do's that you have to do, but actually allow yourself to have a mental health day, whatever that might be mean for you. Mm -hmm. Maybe it is, you know, going outside and laying in the hammock and reading a favorite book. Maybe that's, you know, going to the beach. I I live near the beach. So that that comes up a lot. I love the beach. I love to go walking at the beach. I like to get up at sunrise and go walk at the beach. I think that's a great way to start the day. Um, I feel like, oh, when I do that, I'm like, oh, the rest of the day is golden because I just so jealous. Beautiful. I'm so jealous. (laughs) I am so envious. You know, it's it's a benefit of living in Florida. I can't say that all of the things that are going on here are I have no idea what you're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So like Mm. I I think it's important to understand, you know, where where are you at? If you're in that agency, can you take some time off? If you can't take time off, can you use an EAP? Do they have any EAP assistance so that you can kind of get get a different get get some objectivity be able to process what's going on for you with somebody else um if you can't make adjustments in your job because a lot of people can't right i think one of the messages that i heard over and over when i was in an agency was like if you can't handle it then you need to find another job elsewhere because this is the work of this type of work 
Mm-hmm. You know, and so the message yeah. was that there was something wrong with me, mm-hmm. not the system. And that still proliferates. I do a lot of supervision with other therapists and that are working in different places. And this message is still handed down currently, which always mm-hmm. is disturbing and, and, and saddens me. So when you find, if you find yourself in that situation, I think that's an opportunity to be like, all right, well, let me go out on my own. For me, how I escaped all of that stuff was going out on my own mm-hmm. because now I know that I'm deciding I'm steering the ship. I'm making the decisions. If I need to take a mental health day, no problem. I can take the mental health day. If I want to mm-hmm. take off two weeks to go traveling, I can take off two weeks to go traveling. If I want to build out 12 weeks off a year in my schedule, I build out 12 weeks off a year in my schedule to accommodate the time that I need to be able to do the yeah. work that I do effectively, to have time for myself, to enjoy living my life. Yeah. Because many therapists, they go to work on Monday, they work a lot of overtime, they go in early, they stay late. And then on the weekend, they're just trying to like, do whatever's required to keep their life functioning to go back to work on Monday, right? Like I got to do my laundry. I got to get to the grocery store. I got to run these errands. I got to mow the lawn, you know, whatever it is. And then your weekend's over. You haven't had any time to actually relax and, and, and replenish and enjoy your life. And that's not sustainable. And 10 days off a year, in my opinion, is not sustainable. That's reinforcing that, you know, productivity life Ferris wheel that a lot of people are on. When I work with my, my clients, my consultation clients, I always tell them, you know, don't think about achieving something, commit to a process, just commit to the process and just show up for yourself and do that. Eventually that process will, um, give you a return on your investment. I'm sorry, Melissa, what were you going to say? Yeah, well, two things. I mean, I I keep hearing you use the word process and focusing on the process, Mm -hmm. Um, which again, if you're a type A person like myself, I'm thinking about, you know, goals and and check it off the list and get the task done. Um, And so I'm really appreciating, you know, that redirection of focusing on the process. Um, and I'm also thinking about the work that you do creatively with clients. I'm imagining that that there's a lot of that focus, focusing on the process that the client is going through while they're working with art in session rather than the finished product itself also. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but the other thing that I was thinking about as you were talking about these messages, you're hearing people get, you know, when you're in supervision with them, you know, and but I think that this happens elsewhere as well, this idea of, we are supposed to be different as mental health practitioners. Like those people over there get burned out. Those people over there have stress and, you know, somatic responses to stress. Um, but like not us, like, you know, or that we're not allowed to tend to those things. Um, and so it's interesting to hear those messages, but also to know that in some ways we might integrate that maybe kind of overflating, overinflating our importance. Like I have to be there because insert catastrophe that will happen if I'm not there. Yes. Um, that's, that's so huge, right? Like, no, you do not have to be everything for everyone. 
And these people were, they were living their lives before you became a part of it. And they will live their lives after. No, uh -uh, that's unhealthy. Yeah. And, And I think for mental health practitioners to know that, you know, they're allowed to be human. And that they are human and that it's okay for us to take care of ourselves because we can certainly talk about self-care all the day, all the day, you know, all day long and what you need to do for your mm-hmm. self-care, whether or not we are applying it to ourselves might be a different story. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, I try my best to practice what I preach and, you know, work out, you know, do, do physical exercise. I really, um, I love to cook and that's one of my creative outlets. So I'm always preparing food for the week so that I'm not stressed about eating. So I always have a healthy lunch. I have healthy stuff for dinner. So I can just really quick throw something together when I get home. I don't have to stress about that. So I do, I do have a little bit of those, like the system mentality. I'd like to say that I'm like a recovering, um, overachiever. And, um, and that's where like the processes come in. Um, but I'm really excited. I'm going to be taking a, a process painting class, which is specifically for therapists. And it's a six week long class. It starts in two weeks. It's on like a Tuesday evening for two hours. So, so I'm excited about that. That's going to be part of my, um, self-care, right. You know, in the, in the fall time is to just give myself time to, to paint yeah. with other therapists, which is so cool. And I think that when we don't take care of ourselves, it shows up in the room, mm-hmm. right? Clients can see yes. clients can see it when we're just not in a good space. Right. And, and I've seen this happen, you know, but I imagine that when clients see it, it's like, uh, you're going to help me. How? And so being aware that um, when we don't take care of ourselves, that one, ethically, it's our duty to take care of ourselves. It's almost like it's our job to take care of ourselves. It's our ethical duty to prevent impairment or when we Mm -hmm. see that there's a struggle to get help if we need, if that's professional help, or maybe we do need time for play or vacation Mm -hmm. uh, or a shifted workload. And just to be aware of the ways that we need to be able to take care of ourselves in order to do the work that we do. And if we don't, uh, it can show up in session or in so many other ways. I heard um, I, a friend who's a personal trainer and, and a long time ago, he had said something that's always stuck with me. And he said, you know, people who want to run a marathon, right? In order to run a marathon, you have to be, a, you know, take care of yourself, take care of your, your body. You don't necessarily have to be in great health, but you have to be able to be training and be in a certain physical level of health to be able mm-hmm. to complete a marathon. You can't do that if you're not taking care of yourself, right? And, and that always has stuck with me because that kind of, for me, seems to kind of apply to this, what we're talking about here. You know, if you're someone who's handling trauma, if you're helping, you know, provide therapy to a client, like Muslim, you were saying, um, and you're not taking care of your own mental health, then how in the world are you possibly going to be able to be of any use to someone else? How are you going to be able to run that marathon? How are you going to be able to you know, do that thing that you want to do unless you're already taking care of your own physical needs? Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree with you more. And I think it's important for us all to recognize too that you know what, what a, a picture of 
optimal health for one human being is going to be vastly different than Mm -hmm. another human being. You Mm -hmm. know, there are therapists that have different health conditions and that it's unrealistic for us to expect somebody who is living with, you know, let's say an autoimmune disease, for example, Mm -hmm. right. And they need to go in and have regular, um, some type of medication infusion or something, Mm -hmm. their ability to carry, you know, a caseload may vary from somebody else who's in their early twenties and, um, doesn't have any health problems, isn't married, doesn't have a family, like they're, you know, just ready to roar their ability to do whatever it is, um, is going to be different. And it's important for us not to compare ourselves and not to look over to the right and say, but this therapist over here is doing all of this. And like, they look like a superhero and how come they can accomplish all that? You know, Mm -hmm. that's not helpful for us. I think it's really important for us to really put our own blinders on in a way. And, and like, if we can focus just on ourselves and say, let me listen to my, to my inner voice that knows everything that I need to be successful. Then I can craft a practice or um, whatever it is that I want to accomplish specifically to meet my needs and not worry about what other people are doing. If this one's doing more, or that one's doing less, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. But I think it's hard sometimes, you know, as like therapists going, especially those that are just starting in practice, looking mm-hmm. at somebody else and going, but how are they getting so many clients? How are they getting filled up? And, you know, don't compare yourself, just commit to your process. And you know, to what you were saying, Dan, about the marathon, the person that runs the marathon is the one that gets up and they go train and they go run, they practice regardless of how they feel. They commit, they commit to the process. They're not committing to the outcome. And that's the thing. I think that one of the things about success is that, you know, there's certainly a small amount of luck that can come with success. But when you're, when someone is busy, looking at what someone else is doing and wondering why they can't do that, you know, very often I find, and and I'm guilty of this myself sometimes, you know, that you forget that the person who's that, who's successful, the person who's doing whatever it is you wish you could be doing, you're not seeing the hours and hours and hours and hours and hours and hours that they spent to get Mm -hmm. to that point and all the toils and and times they failed. You know, I think one of the hallmarks of someone who's a true leader, someone who's a truly successful person, whether it's a business or, or show, you know, a business or entertainment or whatever it is, is that they fail and they allow themselves to fail. And instead of letting that define them or hold them back, they then say, okay, now what do I learn from this? And how do I then, what's the next step? Yeah. Right. And those are, you know, that's the things that are invisible that, you know, mm-hmm. I think, you know, when you look at someone who's truly successful, you're not seeing that you're just seeing the end result. Yeah, no, it's so true. It's so true. Just think about all of the hours and months that you have been in preparation to create your show Mm -hmm. and how long it took to actually record the first show and release the first show. I know for me, 
that was like over a year <laughs> yep. before it actually came out. Mm-hmm. So yeah. much time. You know? exactly. it, it, but it was that commitment to the process. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Eventually yep. you get there. Yeah. And that's, that was true for what, uh, yeah. I mean, it took us what a year, a little over a year, Melissa, yes. before we even produced our first podcast. Eight o'clock PM meetings. <laughs> lunch meetings. Like I think we spent hours and hours and hours and hours on our logo and let, you know, everything. Yeah. You know, just picked apart to the T to get to where we want it to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a lot that, that is like, it's unrecognized, but it's part of the process. And if we can slow down, then we can enjoy those moments of the process instead of trying to hurry it up to get to the finish line. When we're hurried up to get to the finish line, we deprive ourselves from so much fun and joy mm-hmm. of, of being here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah, and sense. I think that I can speak for both of us when I say that today and speaking with you is one of those moments where we're getting to sit and enjoy and be present with this experience. Mm-hmm. Um, after having put in all of that work, we're getting to just be here <laughs> in this moment. So I know we're getting close on time, Rena. I'm wondering if you have just maybe one more top tip for anyone who's maybe really struggling with creativity, tapping into it, for whatever the reason, if you have one tip for helping clinicians or business owners be able to tap into that creativity. Honestly, I, I do believe that creativity happens when we're in a state of flow, when we're in the flow state. And um, forgive me because I can't pronounce the psychologist's name um, who studied this do you know his name? Um, it's an Eastern European name and it has a lot of consonants and I can't pronounce it. Um, but, yeah. um, you know, if you looked up psychologists who studied flow, um, you know, it is finding that space where you're allowing yourself to get lost in what you're doing, whatever it is. So you can take a mundane task and get into a flow state. And then Mm -hmm. that's going to open up the creative potential within you. So for example, a meditative task might be sewing, right? Mm -hmm. We're we're repeating Mm -hmm. the same process over and over again. Mm -hmm. But by doing that, we're focused on that. We lose track of space and time. And all of a sudden that um, opens up the, creative potential, we can start to access some of our creative problem-solving ability. Um, Painting can be like that. You lose track of space and time. Playing music can be like that. For people that don't consider themselves creative, you know, you might use one of those, you know, fancy coloring books. That can be a time to like slow down and, and get yourself into that mindset gardening, that can also be a great place to get into the creative mindset. For me, I love walking in nature and being in the natural landscape, hiking, yeah. uh, being on the water, being on the beach and, and just walking, going hiking in the mountains. Um, when I do get a chance to go on vacation, I haven't really been able to do that because of COVID, but 
you know, those types of things, those always get my creative juices flowing. I always get the best ideas when I'm relaxed and having fun. Um, and I'm not, you know, forcing it. Mm-hmm. You can't wait. You can't wait for a muse. You, you have to create your own muse. You have to know mm-hmm. what gets your juices flowing right. and then do it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we really appreciate you coming on and talking with us about um, everything today. Tell me, what is, if people want to find you on the web, if they wanted to look up your podcast, um, do you have a website? Where should they go to, to get the, to, to, to find you? Where should they go to access the, the, the podcast? Can you give us that information? Yeah, absolutely. So the podcast is The Creative Psychotherapist, and that's on, it's on Spotify, it's on iTunes, it's on you know the Google, Android players, it's all over. And you can uh, check out the website, which is www.creativeclinicianscorner.com, or you could send me an email directly, creativeclinician at gmail.com. And I'm happy to answer any questions. Awesome. Well, thank you again. Um, we appreciate it. This has been awesome. I think Melissa and I both, you know, with Melissa said, this is the kind of thing where it's a delight to be able to sit and talk to um, people like yourself and hear this stuff um, and how people, what people can be doing. So um, we thank everyone for listening again. Um, as always, you can find us on our webpage. Um, and our Facebook page. And we do welcome you to and ask that you do please reach out to us, send us questions, comments, um, your anecdotes, anything like that. Um, And uh, again, we thank you for coming and listening and we will talk to you guys soon. Thank you for listening to the Protecting Your Practice podcast. Be sure to visit protectingyourpractice.com to connect with us, continue the conversation, and access additional information. As a reminder, the information on this podcast does not constitute legal advice. Listeners should contact their own attorney or paid consultant for all decisions regarding their own practice.